listen to my brother's Deeper, which is a podcast about two brothers who are coming from two different places in the world. One's in England, one's in Los Angeles, one's a pastor, and one's a writer. Both of them grew up in a really small town in Louisiana. And this is where they are in the world. And this is what this podcast will be about, their perspectives. So the first thing I wanted to do is say, I'm Josh Mayhall. And I'm Jason Mayhall. And we're the Brothers Deeper. So (laughs) first thing, you are a pastor in England. What town are you in? What town do you live in now? So we live in the northeast of England, which if you're trying to figure out where that is on the map, we are actually closer to Scotland than we are to London. And so I minister slash serve in a small town called Houghton Le Spring, which would be near large city like Newcastle, Sunderland uh, area. And so we've been here for nine months now so it's still somewhat fresh but we're learning the culture very different than the united states some good some not as good um but that's where we're at and and it's uh it's a very unique place that we're growing to love quite frankly now i'm in california los angeles um which is really different than england obviously um so and how long of, have you lived there i've been here 10 years okay and uh but so we grew up in a really small town yeah in louisiana it's called bastrop um it's nowhere near new orleans if you're wondering <laughs> most people that's the question you get like when you tell people you're from louisiana they say oh new orleans nothing like that so maybe we should do a little back give a little background on this town. Um, it was a paper mill town for 50 years. Um, our grandfather worked there 45 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, our mother worked there for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of deeply ingrained in me. I don't know how you view it. Because um, one of the first thing that we were, go- we were going to do as uh, a first episode of this was going to be about memory. So maybe we can do do a little bit of that. Um, what are your memories of Basher? Well, it's funny because, you know, it's obviously the place where, even though I wasn't born there, right, because our parents met in the military, and uh, that was in Virginia. And, you know, I think this goes into part of our upbringing is that the town that, we're talking about Bastrop is the town that our father grew up in, but our mother did not. In fact, she grew up completely, in some sense, an opposite culture where she was from New Jersey. So you've kind of got this southern and southern guy and Yankee gal together, which created some tension. And um, but I think also kind of influenced the way, at least for me, that I saw Bastrop. So. Um, it's the place where I have my first memories, and I've got overall good memories of it. Um, I think we had a, a relatively happy childhood, even though, you know, divorce came into play fairly early. Um, I think one of the things that I always talk about is that as, as far as I can catalog it, I think my my I think it's my second earliest memory um, is our parents fighting. <laughs> actually i was gonna ask you what your first memory was so i think my first memory is actually dad taking us taking me you may have been there i don't know but dad taking me to a movie and my very first memory um was jaws which came out in 1977 so i was two no you're wrong 75 so Jaws must, didn't come out in 75. Yeah, it came out in 75. I know this. Um, so you probably saw a later run of it. 
must have. Yeah, because you know, back in the seventies, they did like movies were in theaters forever. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah. okay, so so yeah. maybe that's not my first memory because I always kind of cataloged that according to what I thought the release date of, which was seventy-seven. Yeah, you probably did see it in seventy-seven. Okay, maybe so. So anyway, you two years old, right? In seventy-seven, yeah. 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 See, the, um, my first memory is of you and Dad. Doing what? You were in the backyard. It was like a John Ford shot, like through through a, a doorway. Have you ever seen the movie The Searchers? No. It's like a famous shot of, like, John Wayne standing framed in this doorway, and, like, out beyond is, like, the Great West. Anyway, it wasn't quite that vista. It was our backyard. I was going to say on Parkwood Drive. Parkwood Drive. <laughs> of you and Dad, and you, he's – you're holding a bat, like a plastic – like a wiffle bat, and he's, like, kneeled down, like, three feet away from you, chucking you a ball. Wow. That's my first memory. But – Which, let me just say, and we're probably, like, veering off in lots of different future episodes here, but – to me, that's fairly ironic because when I would – if I ever remember my childhood, um, when I think about how I learned to play sports because sports was obviously a very big part of both of you and I's life growing up, I don't really associate dad with that. Yeah. As far as teaching you know, and spending time kind of practicing sort of thing. No, yeah, not at all. Um, but that's the memory. I don't even – you know, like if you've done any sort of research – a reading about memory and the nature of it, which I have recently. Sometimes these things aren't real memories. It's something you've sort of concocted in your brain and put yeah. together. Yeah. So you don't know if, you know, if it's a real thing. But you mentioned it's not as reliable as we think it is. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned your second, or so memory being um, yeah. mom and dad fighting. That's my second. Really. Memory too is yeah looking up at them yelling at each other. Oh wow! So yeah, I, I my memory is being in the living room and uh, being on some sort of chair or something like a lazy boy type chair and hearing them argue back in their bedroom and wow. um, and just kind of so it was loud enough obviously that it kind of came through the front of the house. But kind of getting back to Bastrop, like the, I, I think overall my mem- my memory of Bastrop is positive, but it was also somewhat, I guess, fractured too because there was always this sense like when we were growing up, there weren't a ton of kids who had divorced parents, and so I definitely felt that growing up. Um, particularly in a small town like Bastrop. And then I think I think it was always reinforced to me, at least, that Bastrop was a small town in Louisiana. So, like, you know, I think a lot of people may grow up living in a small town but not realize that until they get older. I think because of mom being from where she was, from the Northeast, um, in New Jersey, like, that, there was always a sense of place, like a sense of – yeah, I, I know where we're growing up, and it's not a bad thing, but I know it's not the epicenter of the world, you know? Yeah, I think the, what I remember the most are our feelings, mm-hmm. like the way a place feels. And okay. Louisiana, especially Bastrop, what comes to mind is how green it is oh, and wow. how – and how humid and hot it would get. And that would stick. It, it, literally, it, it is sticky. Yeah. But it also sticks with me um, <clears throat> feeling-wise of, like, uh, a place I could never forget as far as, like, just the way it felt, you know. And um, at the time, you know, you mentioned, like, growing up, how you view it as a kid. You think it's, like, normal. Yeah. And like a great place to grow up because, you know, they were good for the most part. It was. But when you become an adult and look back or you go back, it is a very depressed place, like economically. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I feel like some of that imprinted itself upon me when I look when I think back on it. And so maybe this is a, one of those memory things you're talking about where 
I don't know if if I'm remembering feeling that or I've imprinted it since then. But my sense is, is that um, I knew it was a depressed place because, you know, I think when you grow up and, you know, you mentioned our mom working at the local paper mill, you know, when mom and dad divorced, she, she had to get that job. And so this is a job where, you know, for a single mom, there's not many options and she gets to a paper mill and she's having to work shifts that rotate, you know, every month or so. And I I think there's a sense of even when you're a kid in school, when you've got, you know, parents who work nine to five jobs and, uh, you know, both parents are there that you realize, OK, yeah, this is we're living in a different sort of a situation. But a lot of people work at that mill. And so they're in a similar, although maybe not family situation, financial situation. Um, so I do think like I think there's a reason why this podcast is called My Brother's Deeper, because I do think you're, you're really deep to talk about those feeling sticking to you in a place that literally is sticky um because i really think of bastrop as just kind of a place i grew up somewhat depressed and then we moved away you know yeah i um just a little background the paper mill is the only the only game in town pretty much like if you were to go back and do like a percentage of the population that worked there yeah it's probably 40%. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, there's banks, there's restaurants, yeah. there's uh, schools. Yeah. But International Paper was the company that owned that paper mill. That's a huge company. Because yeah. we learned that later when yeah. our mother's second husband got transferred to another paper in the state of Maine. Right. Um, but, like, if you go into 7-Eleven now... And I don't know what they have. Do you have 7-Elevens in England? No. no. But you know them because you grew up in America. Um, If you go in there and you get a cup of coffee, that cup, that paper cup is made by international paper. It's a huge, huge thing. And our grandfather worked there 45 years. You go into most Starbucks and a lot of their cups or, or, you know, the, the holders are made by IP. Yeah. So this is sort of like the larger picture of like uh capitalism it touched us even then you know so um the next thing is to talk a little bit about um our mother took us to church every sunday yeah as kids so we sort of grew up i wouldn't say like i remember going to elementary school and there being kids that would go to church on wednesday night yeah and they go to church sunday morning and sunday night we weren't those type of people we just went sunday um talk a little bit about how like those early days of going to church sort of affected you yeah i mean you're right in describing kind of the, the type of family we were you know i so having done a lot of reflection on this um I feel like contextually it's important for me to understand and explain it this way. Our mom was raised Lutheran. And so whether or not that's familiar to anybody, Lutheran is, from my perspective, just kind of on on on, on the right side of Catholicism. So it's very traditional, um, relies a lot on, um, um, kind of uh, prayers and and kind of a, um, a format, you know, kind of a liturgy. And so there weren't a lot of Lutheran churches where we grew up. In fact, I don't remember any in Bastrop. None. There was one, think, there's one in Monroe that we went to Monroe. one time. Exactly right, which was, what, 30 minutes away from where we grew up. Yeah. Which, which in, in Louisiana was like – you know, now I think you drive somewhere 30 minutes away and you're like, that's no big deal. But like when growing up, like that was a trip. Yeah. And Monroe was like the big city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you didn't get there by accident. Like you had Monroe to like, was like plan. A, you know, 
just for reference, Monroe is like a, a town of about 50 to 75,000 people. Yeah. Um, so Bastrop in comparison was 25, 30,000. Exactly. Yeah. So, so she grew up Lutheran, which is a very traditional, um, as I said, liturgical kind of expression of Christianity. She moves down to Louisiana. I think she kind of had that built into her as part of, hey, this is just kind of what you do, and this is kind of how you you raise kids. And being as a single mom, I think partly she wanted you and I involved in church because it just helped her parent. And so the closest thing that I think she felt mirrored Lutheranism was the Methodist church. So that's the first church. That's my first memory is going to a Methodist church. Um, and, uh, and remember then, that church, the actual church, I totally remember it because I was, I was what they called an acolyte. I don't know if you ever did that, but it's, I was it's never, kind of, I never did anything like that, dude. Okay. So well, I remember so you're like, you got, you got like a robe and got a robe and you, you had a, um, like a, like a, um, brass kind of pole. Where, I sort of remember seeing you doing that now. Yeah. Right? Where you light the candles. Yes. Yeah. So so I did that and and we went there for a long time. In fact, I remember meeting kids there that once we left that church, I then reconnected to in college. Right. Like, so like, you know, that 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 was that was it was a large you, for that area. You uh, So when you were doing that, did you have any idea at the time like what it meant like what you were doing no I, I i don't really think i did like i think you know um it was part of what mom was trying to do to raise us so i i literally remember during that time like during summers whenever um we would go outside or come in for lunch i, I remember i remember mom not letting i'm assuming you and me but I remember mom not letting me go outside until I could recite the Ten Commandments or until I could recite the books of the Bible. Like I, I do remember her trying to like form us spiritually through like memorizing things. I do sort of remember that. And actually mom brought that up yesterday when I was talking to her about she watched because I sent this. This is a ta- another tangent, but doesn't really but you have like a with your church now you're doing these youtube videos yeah and i sent her one of those the cup of things that you're doing oh yeah and i guess there was some something else that she watched where you had mentioned the ten commandments and yeah. her and you had mentioned exactly what you said about her like making us memorize them yeah um i do kind of remember that too remember, yeah. and like being sort of pissed off that i had to do it yeah Oh, yeah. And and that's I think that's so when you ask, like, did it mean anything to me? No, like it felt like a form of discipline. Yeah. You know, I felt I think my whole reaction to growing up and going to church. Was a bit like school. It's something yeah. I had to do completely. And my reaction to it was just um, boredom. Yeah. I every every time we went to church, even as we got I got older, it was just a big daydream for me. Like I was yeah. sitting at the pew. I can't recall anything ever being preached about. Yeah. I can remember different churches and the different vibes. Yeah. Because you talk about Methodists, I do remember that church we went to and sort of like Going to different Methodist churches and then m- mom getting remarried and that guy being a Baptist and then going yeah. to Baptist churches. That was a big shift. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a grandfather that was a Baptist. No, he wasn't. He went, he went to a Baptist church, though. No, they, that wasn't a Baptist church. That was a church of Christ. Oh, OK. So See, now, okay, so what's the difference between you mentioned earlier with with Lutheran? Yeah. Being a um, what you use the word liturgy? Yeah. What exactly do you mean by that? So liturgy is basically almost like a script to where like you would go to church 
and you see this particularly in Catholicism, you go to church and the order of the service is scripted out. So you would have at the beginning, let's say, um, a prayer that would be read and everyone would recite it. And then there would be particular verses that you would read um, and everyone would listen to and potentially have some sort of response that goes back. It's very structured. It's a structured plan. And Lutheranism, Catholicism tend to follow um, much more of a liturgy structure when they gather together. The Church of England here is very, very similar. There's a there's a famous book called uh, the Book of Common Prayer, and um, it literally has um, every day of the year scheduled out for here's here's what you're supposed the passage of scripture you're supposed to read here's what you're supposed to be focused on so liturgy is kind of much more of a of a structure so when we switched from the methodist church which has a bit of a liturgical feel to it as well but not nearly as tight and strict as lutheran or catholicism um when we went to a baptist church that's like the polar opposite. Okay, yes. I mean, they're, they're, they, the truth is, is that every church has liturgy, and that every church figures out a way in which they want to do church. Um, it may not be written down, but it's it's there. And so, the truth is, the Baptist church has a liturgy in and of itself, but it's not written down. It's not been passed through the centuries to you know other people. But it, but when we went, when you're right, when mom married our stepdad um, and we went to this Baptist church, which I don't know if you remember, but one of the main reasons we went there is because so many people who worked at International Paper went there. I did not know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So so we went there for for uh, for that. And that was a huge that was a huge shift. And I think probably the first time for me where religion and faith started to become less of a uh, – it was still – it still felt like a discipline, but it, it became more personal for me when we went to that church. Which church? The Baptist church. Right. Um, so just a little, a little bit more background. We started out with the Lutheran thing because our mother grew up that way, and I think that's probably her, her mother's background. Yep. Her mother was from Wisconsin. So there's probably a, there's like from what I know is there's probably a deep deep tie to Lutheranism in Wisconsin. Yeah, very much. Um, so so our father though grew up in this town Bastrop and grew up, he did grow up in the church. He was very he was religious at one point. At one point he was, yeah. I say that because he died an atheist. Yes. But he probably grew up in a Baptist church or church what was it? Church of Christ. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Like like the odds would tell you it's probably Baptist just because that's what was around, you know, and that's what populated most of the places in those small southern towns. So that could be what it is for sure. I mean, I just know that when we would go to church with our grandfather um, and grandmother, it was I'm sorry, it wasn't a Church of Christ. It was a Church of God, which does not sound very different, but from a from a theological practice standpoint, Church of God and Church of Christ are two different denominations. Okay, that's so what about we that were brought to when we were right. there. So the method, so you, so mom was Methodist. She thought that was probably closest to Lutheranism. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, a ton of Baptist churches around there. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between Baptist church and the Church of Christ or Church of God? So it's very minor. Um, you know, kind of minor details where, like, for example, the Church of Christ, this is where it gets difficult because there's there's even division within the Church of Christ. So you can have three or four different types of Church of Christ. But overall, what I would say is that a Church of Christ would probably um, – and a Church of God would probably have more of a prominent role for women in regards to the ability – to preach or to be missionaries or to have leadership. Um, one church of Christ in particular um, doesn't believe that you should have any sort of musical instruments because 
musical instruments are not mentioned in the New Testament. They're mentioned in the Old Testament, like lutes and lyres and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But because there's no mention of that in the New, they take that to be, well, then the church shouldn't use them, which I think is pretty silly. Baptists, I would say, um, tend – their big difference is, is, is they believe that there's no kind of central structure that should – be the authority for a specific church. So like, for example, in Catholicism, Lutheranism, and in, in Methodism, our Methodist church, um, every church reports to a leader who is over an area and then reports to the larger church. So like with the Catholic church, the ultimate leader is the Pope, right? So within Methodism, um, they also have like an ultimate kind of group of people. And so they can literally move pastors. It's like one, it's like a company almost where you can move and place people in different churches and move families and all that sort of stuff. Baptists have said, you know what? We don't think that that is reflective in the Bible. And so each church stands on its own. So while we might cooperate with other churches that are like-minded, um, our church governs itself. Or independent and govern itself, and that that's a pretty big distinctive between the Baptist model and other models. So this is this is my perspective on all, all these these churches we went to, right? So, yeah. like I said before, I'm like it's all based on feeling. We go to the Methodist church, and it is there are some some strains of Catholicism there because they do communion, um, which they don't do at Baptist churches. No, they do. They, they do? do. So yeah. I don't remember that. I just remember that doing it once a month at the Methodist church. Yeah. But the Methodist church, this is the vibe to me. Calm, cool, not trying to make you feel guilty. You go to the Baptist church, people are yelling at you, make you feel guilty. Maybe you did something on Saturday night you shouldn't have done mm-hmm. type of vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like the Baptist church. Yeah. If I had to pick, I would have picked the Methodist church to go to, you know. Sure. And another thing is the time spent there. Methodist church, the service was about an hour. Yeah. Baptist church, hour and a half. <laughs> and then we went to that Lutheran church one time, 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. That, so, like, that's sort of, like, how I kind of viewed church. is like, when is this over? Right. A, t- a, a time commitment. <laughs> did you ever feel that way? I did when I was younger, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely remember very clearly pretending to sleep in every Sunday, hoping that mom would graciously allow her tired kids to keep sleeping and go, oh, man, we overslept church. You know, I, I did the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. I definitely felt that way. It, it felt it felt like a duty more than anything. Yeah. 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 So I remember. So going back a, a little bit with um, our parents, they divorced. Um, I was three. Right. You were five. And they divorced. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um. Do you have any memories of that? Like, any feelings on that separation? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it. I mean, I don't... But at the time? I mean, I I remember... Here's what I remember. I remember my very first day of kindergarten, and I remember Dad walking me into school. Really? I'm I'm assuming that they, they were either just about to be divorced or very very newly divorced because if that's you know august or whatever of um 1980 um you know that was later late in the year i was about to turn five i remember him walking me into school because our principal i don't know if you remember this or not but our principal was a guy named mr chain oh yeah i remember who, who was a teacher of dads in high school yeah and so I remember the connection that they made. Um, I don't know if that's the reason why he walked me into school or what, 
But I remember him walking me in school. And I, for whatever reason, I have in my mind as that kind of being the last thing, my last memory of when they were married. Um, Mr. Chang, as a side note, um, I have intimate relations with this guy. Not intimate in like a sexual nature, but like just, say, yeah. I got he tapped me a, a few times because we went to a school school system in the 80s where teachers could paddle you with um, yeah. wooden paddles. Yeah. So and he had one as the principal, of course, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I got in trouble a few times when he paddled <laughs> me once. I but remember. also, Mr. Chain. If you want to picture him, make a picture of him. He looked like the principal from Back to the Future. Yes. Bald. Yep. Sort of militaryish type of demeanor. Yeah. A L- little more weight in the midsection. Yeah. But um, I, you said Dad walked, like took you to school, to the first day of kindergarten. Um, I remember my first day of kindergarten. Uh, our grandfather took me. No way. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe yeah. mom's working or something. I don't know. Huh. I don't know if she remarried at that point, but because um, she remarried, I think I was around five when she remarried. I, I think for some reason I I remember me being either eight or nine when she remarried. Okay. All right. I mean, she may have been dating him because I mean, you know, if we want to be honest. I think he was in our house living before they were married. Yeah, mom has told me that um, they were seeing each other. He was still married. Yeah, I knew that. So um, that's a sort of another podcast is like just our relationship to our mother. I agree. Also, make a mental note. I'd like to go back to this New Testament and there being no music. That's an interesting topic. Yeah. Okay. Um, so – um, just timeline wise and like our relationship to church and religion and all that. Um, what, what are your like memories of, of the Baptist church? Um, <clears throat> well, I remember it being a place that we went to more frequently simply because our stepdad was motivated for whatever reason to go. I don't know if it was social. I don't know if there was some sort of spiritual experience that happened to him. I don't know, but I, I know that we were we went more often. Um, and I remember the pastor was a guy named Brother Jimmy. I mean, this is again very very southern culture here, where anybody in in sort of a position of leadership in church always had the brother prefix, you know. Um, associated with them. So I remember Brother Jimmy, and I, for me, I mean, just to be quite uh, open with you, I, the biggest thing that I remember was for me, that's where I felt like um, I first understood the message of Jesus and made made what I would call a commitment to follow Jesus was at that church. Where um, you got saved? Yeah, 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 that's another way to say well, it. Like, if, like people don't know what that means like what does saved mean yeah so i mean i guess the simplest way to say it is that um in in kind of the christian tradition the christian message um boils down to the fact that everybody at their heart um is is really kind of selfish and makes decisions in their own best interest and the Bible would call that sin, and that because of sin, there's a separation from God. And what the Bible says is that in order to bridge that gulf of separation between an infinite God and a finite human being, a sacrifice has to be made because God is holy, God is just, and he um, has been offended in some sense. And so that's why in the Old Testament, you have this whole system of sacrifices. They're sacrificing goats and rams and pigeons and all sorts of is because um, a sacrifice and atonement had to be made um, on behalf of the person who sinned against God. So fast forward to the New Testament. Um, Jesus says, hey, 
that whole system was really a precursor and a foreshadow of me and that essentially I'm the perfect sacrifice. I'm unblemished, never sinned, um, and so I'm going to die in order to save you. So when people say that I've been saved by Jesus, um, essentially what they're saying is, is they recognize that they're a sinner and that the only way to reconcile a relationship with a almighty personal creator is through his son Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. So that's what that means. So what I would say the Baptist church was the first place where I heard that, understood that, and I believe that something very profound happened to me when I began to understand that. And that happened at what age? Um, probably eight or nine. Um, I remember actually very clearly when it happened. Um, I was actually sitting right beside you. And um, I, we, you know, in this kind of environment, I don't know if you remember or not, but you're right. Like the services would go on and on and on. But at some point, um, the pastor would dismiss the kids and the kids would go downstairs into like the basement area. Yeah. And they had like a children's kind of program. And I remember this old lady was talking about Psalm 23, which is a pretty famous psalm in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd psalm. And um, I remember she was explaining it. And for whatever reason, um, for whatever reason, um, it made sense to me. And I um, I so recognized – You actually felt something. Like I remember literally, Josh, realizing I am a sinner and – I, I need I, I need a mediator. I, I can't approach God because of because of who I am and I need someone who will allow me to do that. And I remember literally crying over my sin. And this is where you come into play is you were sitting right next to me. And I remember you reaching out your hand saying, Are you okay? And and me just like kind of almost like um, trying to downplay it and be like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But like in that moment, crying and understanding what I needed and accepting what I needed. I don't remember that. That's amazing. Yeah. Because I remember um, I remember you getting saved or something. Just remembering something like that happened. I remember wanting myself to do it. Like I want to in like and they would always tell you you have to accept Yeah, oh yeah. Jesus in your heart, right? That was yep. like the process of it. Yeah. And I remember trying to do it like <laughs> right. multiple times yeah. and like not feeling a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, so, and, you know, I think that's another thing. Like when you talk about kind of different experiences of church that we've had. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty big dividing line between a lot of churches is whether or not God is someone that you can approach on your own. Um or whether or not God has to reach out to you first. And so I'm, I'm kind of of the persuasion that there, there's kind of a delicate mix there, but that ultimately we can't come to God on our own. Like God reaches out to us and we can't force it, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so, but I do remember, I remember feeling similarly to you. I mean, I remember thinking the same thing. I actually even remember like, being convicted, like I probably should like pray this prayer, but I don't want to do it right now. You know, like I feel, I don't, it feels pressure. And I was a pretty shy kid. I didn't want to, you know, have to stand up because that was the other thing with the Baptist church is that right. if you did that, you you had to like walk up to the front. Yeah. I remember that happening too. Like people, which I didn't have to do because we were in that little children's program. So, right. was, so forever that worked out perfectly for me because because I was I was painfully shy to stand in front of people. So, um, I my memory of you sort of getting really into religion though was sort of later. Like yeah, definitely. High school, like high school years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would even say I would I would I would classify it more in college. Yeah. Honestly. Like I feel like in high in high school it was a. Um, I, I think it was more kind of a of an external sort of adaptation 
of kind of the people that I hung around, you know, like you kind of appear almost a peer pressure, not in a negative way by any stretch, but like, you know, I think as, as adolescents, oftentimes you just want to be accepted. And so I think in high school, that was more of that, but it wasn't until college where I really felt like, um, I owned it and it became much more real and I became much more of a, um, kind of a thoughtful Christian where I was like, you know what? I've got doubts. Let me explore those doubts, you know? And I felt the freedom to be able to do that and, and did explored a lot, explored different religions, you know, read different texts and, and found myself coming back to um, what we had been raised with. And I think that, so that's, to me, that's where the circle comes back is that, you know, you and I feeling like mom was kind of forcing us in a disciplinary way to, to, memorize things for me in college all that stuff that i memorized started to bubble back up and go wait a minute like that that's in my memory bank for a reason and 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 this is this is useful to this process that i'm in right now of searching what i believe you know yes um moments like that never happened for me i was always you what other religions did you pursue well i mean i read i read the quran you know i read um you know pretty extensively just kind of on humanism and just you know trying to figure out like okay well here's their perspective on evolution or the beginning of the world or whatever the case is and just tried to read my freshman year pretty widely and um, and so when I say pursue, it wasn't like I was practicing it, but I was definitely like exploring and studying. Right. So I did I did that too. Like uh, I was extremely, you know, growing up the way we did, um, extremely interested in the stories in the Bible, like just as stories, you know. And like uh, as a kid, though, you know, you're there's a lot of fear. And still, because I feel like, you know, when you're pursuing all when you do sort of like open up your mind and say, okay, what's this religion about then? Because you grew up in this sort of microcosm of just Christianity. And then when you get older, you're like, okay, there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, there's Judaism, there's all this stuff. And you read about them and um, there are similarities, all that stuff. But um I never had a moment where where you know I was like one spoke to me more than the other yeah. you know but there are like but there are like even to this day though the stuff that was ingrained at an early age of Christianity is still there you like um like what would be an example of that well like prayers yeah like I'm not a praying man but I do say prayers like there's, I don't know what what this. I think it's a psalm or a proverb, um, and it's trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings, and all your ways acknowledge Him, He shall make your path straight. That's yeah. something that's there. That's crazy. Well, that's that Proverbs, Proverbs three, Proverbs three, five and six. Right. So I've changed it over the years, and and changed the the masculine to the feminine. Okay. So instead of saying, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings, in all your ways acknowledge him. Yeah. I say acknowledge her. Okay. <laughs> Just my own little. Oh. What, and, not, like, what, is God. that a, what so, is behind that conscious choice? Well, it's from the readings that I've done over the years of like the nature and the evolution of mythologies and religion they started they started out matriarchal right which made a lot of sense to me like if you think about like early man i don't know what your where your stance is on evolution but i believe in it and uh and and reasons why my personal opinion of why things started off matriarchal was because okay imagine if you if you would just a hypothetical if you're not into the whole evolution thing say there's an early man you know yeah. living in caves right and they don't their perception of things um 
are, okay, this, this lady that I'm with here in this cave, her stomach's growing. What's that about? Mm-hmm. And then this human being comes out of it, this tiny little thing. And caveman's mind at that time would think, this woman's magic. She's <laughs> just another human being. And they put the woman on a pedestal. And that's how the matriarchal line of mythology got started. And then man figured out, wait a minute, I'm stronger mm-hmm. than this person. I'm the one going out and getting the food. I'm the one going out risking my life every day. And things start to, to bend towards the patriarchal. Sure. So, yeah, it's kind of like the... the that makes the, sense. Yeah, I can see that. My thinking of, like, um, if I say that prayer... Um, so my whole thing though is like, I say these prayers, um, it's a bit like, um, like if you were going to say, like, put something out there positive, that's what I feel like prayer is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like, a like that book, the secret, mm-hmm. you know, if you like, actualize things and say verbalize things they can happen you know i feel like that's that's just another form of prayer yeah i mean i can see that for sure yeah so let me let me ask you this like you know i think contextually one of the things that's important here as far as our development and kind of the directions that we wound up going and you can correct me if i'm wrong here because again it's just my perspective I felt like, you know, from um, essentially growing up and being with our mom, um, whether it was through, you know, marriage, divorce, marriage again, and then another divorce, um, you know, I, I, I basically was always living with mom until I moved out of the house, right? And so her influence was was very, very large and you know we've already mentioned she wanted to keep us in church and so you know one of the things that happened for those that might be listening is that um eventually when our mom and stepdad divorced we actually went back to a methodist church right yeah and so again like from whenever i can remember to when i left the house at you know 1718 and went to university mom is there mom's the influence but you left the house when you were what 15 to go yeah. live with our dad yeah so how, how much of your kind of spiritual religious perspective would you say was influenced by dad and in particular those years that you lived with him so like we said before our dad was an atheist yeah i i yeah. well i i my perspective based on conversation I had with him was he was an agnostic, which See, that's where I feel like where I'm at is like, okay. I, I'm not an atheist. Right. Um, I'm too afraid of that. <laughs> There's a lot of fear dwelling in this person. So I think all of us have that. And some- the fear of, um, and that starts early with religion, you know, the fear of going to hell. Oh, Totally. Oh, I re- Josh, I remember, I remember that that little Baptist church we were talking about. I, I remember it being classified in um, what was called fire insurance, where you get saved in order to protect yourself from the fires of hell. Oh wow! <laughs> so you get your fire insurance. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, I, I he never told me that he was agnostic. Well. To be fair, he never told me that either, but in talking with him because – and this is probably another episode, um, but you know, he and I had a pretty huge falling out yeah. when I was in college, and we had several deep conversations about religion. And essentially what I remember him talking about is, listen, I believe there might be something out there. I believe there might be some sort of all you know, knowing something. But whether or not we can know him, I'm not convinced of, which is a classic definition of an agnostic. Yes, that, cause that's exactly where I am, is I do believe that there's some sort of force, Yeah. you know, that's all binding. Right. But I don't think the human mind can understand it. Sure. 
But anyway, going back to your question about like when I was 15, you went away to college, yep. leaving me all by myself with mother, <laughs> and we weren't getting along at all. Um, you and mom, me. Yeah, mom and I were not getting along. Um, she was super strict, like so strict that on a Saturday, if a friend of mine came by who drove at the time, came around at noon, and we were going to go shoot some hoops or whatever, she would be like, be back at 2. Not really? Like, yeah, like not, not be back at, at supper time at 5 or 6 o'clock or be back before it gets dark. Be back in two hours. Really? She that, yeah, she was that strict. And uh, it became like when you left, I was like, oh, no, there's no other outlet. There's no one else I could talk to. And um, our father at the time was living in Dallas, yeah. Texas, and he would always said, hey, man, if you ever want to come live with me. And I did. And two, I, I would say real quick, I'd insert here. For me, I think it's always it, it was, it's always helpful for me to understand is that you and I spent a lot of time with our dad, particularly during the summers. Like we would spend entire summers with him. And I think it's fair to say, like we loved those summers because it was night and day in regards to schedule, uh, food freedom like all it was it really was, it was like it was it was also um culturally yes. expanding because Fair dad enough. was a, a ferocious reader yep um took us to museums he was on the liberal side of things yep um patron of the arts yeah so and he was a you know an actor he acted in community theater yeah very good too and um, he was an art, you know, he, he was a great draftsman. Yep. Yeah. And it was very, like, culturally mind-opening mm-hmm. to go there those summers because we would go to museums. I never went to a museum with mom. Totally. Like, we went to Poverty Point, which is another <laughs> – it's an episode we should do is just on Poverty Point. It's very, um, very close to your heart. Yes. And um, so, yeah, going to Dallas during the summers – and they were very formative years because we were growing as young men. Yep. And, totally. and um, so moving, actually moving to live with him was really good for me because he and I shared a lot of things in common as far as just like art wise, like movies and yep. comic books and uh, books and just in general but as far as like uh the religious aspect goes we didn't talk much about it i knew that i mean i knew that he was i thought he was an atheist Mm -hmm. and um that was fine to me like i didn't know i don't think i understood it at 15 years old Mm -hmm. i just knew he didn't believe that there was a god and i thought okay well to each their own so so for you there was no tension in that no, never. Okay. I never felt any tension whatsoever towards uh, people's beliefs. Right. Maybe at some point w- there was something, but like on a whole, like if you just looked at it, at the person, I thought, and I do remember you, you know, that summer where you and he had that huge thing, and it w- and it did seem religious. It was, yeah. And I think by when I mean tension, I don't necessarily mean like you were in conflict with them. I think like I remember feeling tension just from the fact that, you know, when when we would go see him, you know, it was obvious that a large part of our life was going to church, whether we liked it or not. That was something that mom made a decision for us to do, and he would have made a different decision. So that created at least, you know, emotionally to some degree and definitely mentally some tension and then also like you mentioned like his parents his dad and you know stepmom really but our grandparents were very religious and that created some tension at times as well not not any sort of like arguments but in schedules you know or you know how they would do certain things you know and and so did you ever feel any of that just kind of um 
contrasting that that you know tension? No, I didn't. I didn't feel any sort of tension okay. with with that being out there. Um, that was a whole other world to me, and I sort of welcomed it with open arms because you know at the time our aunt was living there with yeah. her, with um with my dad and his second wife when and you moved, when you moved out there with dad you're saying yeah, she was living because we moved into this house and it was a four bedroom and our aunt was living there and she's gay was gay yep and i you know i recall that never being an issue or being well, talked about really to be fair i was gonna say it really was never talked about yeah. like i think we knew it to some degree, but it was never spoken. It was never commented on. No. But she always had girlfriends, and they were around. Yeah. So it, was like a, it was just like a, okay, the, that this is happening. Yeah. But I don't ever feel, I don't ever remember feeling awkward. Like, it, it wasn't like, um, it was never flaunted. I think, you, I think a, a bystander could have walked by and go, oh, she's got like really close female friends like there there wasn't any sort of like awkwardness was there well i mean also to put it in perspective our aunt was a butch gay <laughs> they call a butch so you could look at her and be like yeah she's a lesbian she had a mullet <laughs> yeah you're right she did so it was like you yeah. looked at her and you'd be like okay she's possibly a lesbian right right like there was a sort of visual aspect to it yeah no, there was. Although I I remember her having a boyfriend. You do? Oh yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, I mean I remember going over to Papa Mama's or grandparents like one holiday, whether it be Thanksgiving or Christmas, and I remember you know that was always a big deal for us too because we lived just so people know we lived in the same town, that little town in Louisiana, Bastrop. Our father's parents lived in as well so we grew up with them and so he would come in whether it was from monroe or then dallas for holidays and uh birthdays and stuff like that which was always big and always exciting and i remember i think it was some sort of holiday and everyone was coming to you know papa and mama's house and um i remember she brought like her boyfriend i mean we were young yeah yeah i know I, don't, I mean, I knew that I had, dad had mentioned that she'd had boyfriend, but yeah. So anyway, so anyway, uh, th- this sort of episode is basically turned into just memory, the memory one we were going to do. <laughs> so I guess we should just stick with that as whatever. Well, but it's, it's I think we're using memory as a tool to talk about religion. Yeah. Right. So yes, and how like <clears throat> it sort of affected us. Yeah, just kind of how we got to where we were. So, like, again, like talking through your years, w- would you say your, you know, years of living with dad, how how were they formative for you from a religious experience, if any at all? Well, first, it gave me the freedom uh, not to go to church because dad didn't go to church. And I've said this before that. I viewed it when we lived with mom as, you know, this obligation. And it was very boring to me. And I didn't, you know, I had no interest in church, the church. So moving to live with dad, there was, that wasn't there. So that obligation was gone. And that frees you up for other things. And it sort of gives you the freedom to explore uh, religion in a new way. Mm-hmm. And look at it from a different perspective. Um, so in those years, yeah, I sort of like struggled with it, with sort of like, am I a Christian, or what, or am I, or am I not? Like, what am I? Am I a Christian, or am I just some guy? Right. You know? So those sort of late teen years were years of looking for religion everywhere like like i said you know you look at you read buddhist texts and you read things about other religions and you just i just came to i guess i came to this point in my life where i was like i'm none of that stuff mm-hmm. i'm not an atheist more of an agnostic 
um, and view these all of these stories as sort of one. I really got into Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. which is something that probably I did get from Dad because he had these books, um, these Joseph Campbell books. I don't know if you've ever read him. I haven't. So he's really famous for writing a book called uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Okay. And a lot of people who write in movies, uh, novels, any sort of narrative form um, contribute a lot, like attribute a lot to Joseph Campbell in that book. So that book is about he was a uh, an expert on mythologies. Okay. And um, were like a particular folklore. kind of mythology, or oh, just all just every every folklore. He wrote books on on every type of folklore you could ever think of. And he wrote about Christianity. He wrote about like Native American cultures. About he has a book that's Occidental mythologies. Um, but he was a huge Jungian guy, Carl Jung. Okay. So he he most of his writing is through the filter of uh, Jungian psychology, and it starts with like dreams. And collective unconscious and stuff like that. So, but uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces is basically um, he takes all these religions of the world and finds similar stories. Okay. In them. But the framework of it is it's the the hero's journey, and you see it throughout all these stories of like, okay, so there's a guy, and he hears a call. Whatever that is, it's in different forms. And he here's a call to action and at first refuses it. Then it gets calling again and accepts it and then goes on this journey. And basically it's a journey within yourself. Okay. And like all of this religion and all of these stories are an aspect going on inside you so his whole aspect was like he wasn't refuting that there wasn't there like he wasn't an atheist like he wasn't refuting like there's no god you know he was saying that god exists in you like there isn't an eternity it's here and now gotcha so like that that was a big um game changer for me was that book and his writings and reading jung when did you read that first um the so joe i was aware of joseph campbell those you know those years those last years of high school i don't know if i actually read it but i knew of it and dad would uh, they were books that he had out Hmm. and i knew who joseph campbell was and he was also like back in the 80s um he did a whole thing i don't know if you remember bill moyers he was a PBS guy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He they did he Joseph Campbell. He did a, a whole sect, a whole like series of shows with Joseph Campbell. Huh. And uh, he was on Charlie Rose and all this stuff. Okay. Um, so like that, like when Star Wars came out, he was a big Joseph Campbell was a big like fan of the, the first movie because he saw the hero's journey in it. He said mm. that Lucas was following the whole hero's journey in it so that kind of like boosted him but i think i started so i finally probably read uh that in my early 20s the hero of a thousand faces the hero of a thousand faces and then i got into carl jung later in my 20s and that sort of was like a yeah so that was kind of like where where that happened so yeah i guess you could say like that didn't have a big part of it yeah um, but you know, it's 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 interesting. I never had that conversation with him where he would where he admitted that he believed in something. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think you know we've referenced kind of this big big blowout that he and I had. I mean, I think in some ways, you know, that really forced our hand, each of us to articulate what it was that we were mad about 
um, and each other and what we disagreed about with each other. So, um, you know, I don't know how many of those type of conversations he ever got into his life, um, but I think that was definitely one of them. So it was somewhat of a unique situation. Yeah, no, just for reference, um, our father passed away about um, a little over 20 years ago. Yeah, cancer. actually uh, 2022 20, because it was in um, 98, March of 98. Yeah, so he passed away from cancer. Um, he was young, 45, 45 years old. Um, so, um, I think maybe we're probably, we're at like an hour here, so we probably could end it here. Um, so that was like the first episode of memory and religion. Right. Small, small town in Louisiana. Which which obviously are themes that we'll continue to come back to because they play such a huge part. And what we're wanting to talk about. Yeah, because you're a pastor now. It's like. Well, from the religious standpoint, yeah, but even I think memory, you know, obviously, like because our two perspectives started in the same place, um, I think a lot of it is is it's been helpful as you and I have been able to spend more time together in the last few years to realize like how much our memory. Um, comes into play in regards to why we do certain things or, or um, how certain things are framed in our life. So I think, you know, again, it'll keep coming back. We'll keep coming back to it. Definitely. I think maybe next, next time we should probably talk about like our current situation as far as like the pandemic is going. And maybe we could talk about sort of like these sort of similarities and, and, uh, that have happened before and have been written about? Yeah, I think, you know, again, coming from, you know, two different perspectives, two different lives, each of us have a, has a grid by which we're looking at this thing, right, and how we kind of make sense of it. And so for me, I'm definitely coming from a very faith and religious-oriented grid, Um so, yeah, I think that's because of that, you know, there's going to be some differences that I think would be interesting to explore. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll end it here then.